say good morning again. Good morning. And the times of worship seem to just go by so quick. The morning it just moves on, doesn't it? We uh, are in Luke six still yet. The primary method of uh, Jesus's uh, ministry was using men, people. That's who he uses. Doesn't have to, but that's his plan. He uses people. And in his ministry, he called a few men to follow him. Specific men that were to do specific things. Why 12? Well, you think of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, God originally called these tribes out to be separate people in a holy nation, didn't he? Well, he's doing it here this time through 12 men who call people into the kingdom of God, separate people, they are to be a holy nation. And that's what they did. And with the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, the church was founded upon the apostles' teaching, of course Christ being the very cornerstone. As we've been going through this sixth chapter of Luke, we're getting to know these men just a little more personal. It's nice to know people you're going to know for eternity. And of course we have some things written about some of these guys. And it, uh, it helps us learn that um, they're regular people, just like us. They are very ordinary, but they are to represent Jesus Christ after He ascended to heaven. And it's quite, quite fascinating to really look at, at them as they are unique, but they're very common, uh, ordinary. There's no reason by human standards for them to take on such a task as being the preachers of the Gospel. This Gospel is precious, isn't it? And they are the ones that carry it on. Jesus is in heaven. Holy Spirit comes, lives inside of them, and they become the foundation of the church. They were ones who bumbled and stumbled during the time of Jesus' ministry. They traveled with Him all that time and then came Pentecost. And at that time, the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and the rest of the apostles and all the church that was there that had been meeting. And they preached the Gospel of the Kingdom. Peter started it off there and it continued on. 2,000 years later, it continues on. We're here today and we're preaching the Gospel. That's an amazing thing. Only God could do something like that. Well, we spent a whole week on the character of Peter because there's so much on him. So that's what we did with him. Then another week we looked at Andrew and James and John. Andrew, uh, Peter's brother. And then James and John. So that's where we left off. And that's the very first group of the three groups of apostles. As you see them listed, they're always... In, in uh, that order where you have four, four, and four, even though they're all listed as twelve. Some of the names might be changed around in that particular group, but every time you look at the leader of each one of those groups, they're always there first. And Peter is at the head of the list of all of them. And now we uh, look at uh, some more information today. Uh, whether... There is a lot of information and we're familiar with that or whether it's information that is really not there. Sometimes these guys really have nothing there but their names. 
or just one little blurb about them in, uh, in another gospel somewhere. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you have the length of all the information that Peter had or somebody like Judas that wasn't Iscariot, <laughs> for instance. And we'll get to that guy today too. What about him? Uh, well, it doesn't matter about them. You see, this is not about the apostles, even though we're getting to know them, and that's good. They're there, so we should know about them. But it's not about them. It's about who? Jesus. It's about Christ. It's about Christ taking a group of men who were just lumps of clay and He molds them into the clay pots that He needs them to be. And the focus is on Christ Himself as it always is. Everything that we do, the focus should always be on Christ, shouldn't it? Mm -hmm. So they were chosen by Christ to make much of Christ. We're chosen to make much of Christ. That's what it is about. We are not to draw the glory to ourselves. The apostles were not to draw the glory to themselves. Although at first they kind of did a little bit, but they learned very quickly, as uh, we know in the book of Acts, that things changed quite uh, much. So they, uh, what they had done earlier had changed. Their call is all about Christ. And I think we must be encouraged Encouraged today as we look at these individuals, these ordinary individuals, because we too, every one of us as Christians, are to be used by God and we are called to do that. That song, The Way I Was Made, He made you uniquely. You know, I think of Psalm 139 there. But it placed in Christ, we are all one, yet we are diverse in the sense that we all have different things that we do. Nobody is like us. But yet we're similar, aren't we? And uh, so it's a, it's a good thing to know that here these guys are. They seem like nothing and uh, God used them in a tremendous way. Um, they are desired to be ambassadors of Christ Constantly, may that be on our minds. We're representing Him. We are ambassadors. We're representing Him. We're representing His message. Every Christian represents the message that comes from the kingdom. So we are messengers to a lost world for the glory of the kingdom of God. Well, how about we grab our Bibles and once again we'll read the Scripture that we're from. We are expository, but we seem to be stuck in one verse or so. But we'll move on. We'll move some more verses on here. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Let's stand. Pick it up. Verse 13, When day came, He called His disciples to Him. He chose twelve of them whom He also named as apostles, sent out once. They are going to be sent out. That's what apostle means. Apostale. Simon, whom He also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John. That's as far as we've gotten. Now today, here's what we're going to cover. And Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and we'll stop there because that's as far as we're going. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth. May we be able to represent You and represent Your truth very well in here 
and also outside these doors in our everyday life. May we desire to know who Christ is and by learning who these men are, we see the kind of people that God chooses and uses. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So we look at Philip. Philip is our first one here today. Philip has a Greek name. Philip. It was the same name as the father of Alexander the Great. His name was Philip. You know what it means? Give you some real spiritual enlightenment here. Are you ready? Horse lover. <laughs> what does that mean? Fisherman of men. Fisherman of fish. Fisherman. No. I don't know how that fits. He had a Hebrew name, probably. Um, we don't know. That's usually the case. A lot of times they have Hebrew and Greek names. But we don't know what it is, so I can't turn there and tell you where that's at. He uh, always went by this Greek name. And it's kind of noteworthy whenever the some Greeks wanted to come and speak to Jesus, whenever Jesus was at the last Passover that He was at, you know who they first went to? According to John 12, 20-22, they first went to Philip. Philip, Greek name. Maybe they could feel comfortable with a guy that has the name of Philip. He's a Jewish guy that they know that he hangs around with Jesus, so hey, can you take us to Jesus? Well, if we wanted to turn to John 12, and I think I do want to. I wasn't going to do it there for a moment. John 12, verse 20 through 22. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Don't you like that? It's about the best question anybody could ask. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Jesus answered the question. But the thing we're looking at there, it's interesting that they came to Philip. Philip takes them... Go to Andrew. You remember Andrew? We looked at him last week. He happens to be the brother of Peter. Everybody knows Andrew as... Oh, that's that's the brother of Peter. Right? Andrew, Peter... But see, Andrew does what? Brings people to Christ. Philip says, okay, uh, I don't know if this is appropriate or not. I'm not sure. What do I do? <laughs> what do I do? You know, the Greeks, uh, they're wanting to see Jesus. Should I? Well, I'll, I'll go over here to, to Andrew. And Andrew says, oh, yeah, let's go to Jesus. <laughs> Takes people to Jesus. That's what he does. He's done that before. Um, he's from Bethsaida. We learned that right there, didn't we? You say, Bethsaida, okay, uh, what have we known about Bethsaida? Well, he grew up in the same town with Peter and Andrew. Huh. Bethsaida, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, four, five guys. I've got a feeling these guys knew each other pretty well. Would you say that would be small area? Same town. There's first, first of all, we know our fishermen, and we also see Philip fishing, I think, later on at the end of John. So he fishes too for a living. Don't know. 
I wouldn't doubt it though, but these guys hung together. You ever had friends that just hung around with, right? You can identify with this. Isn't this interesting? Jesus, you would think, okay, He would just go high and low all over Israel and pick the best people possible with all their credentials. No, He gets a bunch of guys that are acquainted with each other. I think they're more... They're friends, right? Friends, they're really... They're probably pretty close. We definitely know those first four are. And... uh, these may not be the best guys that you want to pick, these fishermen guys. They're a little group. They're buddies. They knew each other. I have to wonder if sometimes they kind of did some crank things. You know, it makes you wonder. I don't know, maybe when they were younger. We don't know. It doesn't say that. But um, And I'm reading into the text, so I beg your forgiveness. Sometimes imagination just kind of flies away. We don't know too much about Philip, especially from Matthew and Mark and Luke. They're in the list. All apostles are on the list. But all, not all apostles are written about by Gospel writers. So we have to turn to John today to learn a bit about Philip. John did write some things. He helps us out here. So let's, leave, let's meet this guy here by the name of Philip. Turn to John 1. He's right in the very first chapter of John. So we'll just stay in this book of John since he's the one that likes to write it. Well, you know what? He knew him. He knew him real well. (laughs) They're from the same area. I think they're really good buddies. What do you guys think? Yeah. And you know what? I think they might have gone skateboarding together. (laughs) Yeah, ramps and everything. Okay. John 1.43. I'm sorry about that. I just, like I say, my imagination got away from me a little bit there. Uh, the next day, verse 43, he purposed to go into Galilee. Now, you've got Andrew and then Peter. They have met the Messiah, folks. That's a pretty incredible thing, isn't it? I mean, that is stupendous. This is the Messiah. So, you know, they just met him. The next day, Jesus purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip. There's our guy. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Did you get that? Andrew, Peter. And we know James and John were from there and they were all fishermen together. Philip found Nathaniel. Now that's another story there, okay? And he said to him, but Philip said this. This is what's key. This is real important. Are you ready? We have found Him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. You know what His name is? He's Jesus. He's of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I think we're getting down into details here now. He's from a very small town, Nazareth. His father's Joseph. His name is Jesus, Yahashua, Yeshua. He's the Messiah. We found him. I mean, Philip is telling Nathaniel this. Would you be amazed at this? This means he knows the Old Testament. He knows the law and the prophets. Because he mentioned it here. We found of him who Moses in the law and also the prophets. What's the law and the prophets? The Old Testament. So often you will see that. Uh, in the Gospels, the Law and the Prophets, it's meaning the Old Testament, wasn't around at that time where they said, hey, I read this in the Old Testament. 
Because, you know, there, there wasn't a New Testament yet. It was the Testament. It was the covenant. It's the Word of God. This is what we found. We found Him. Now, you know, I can read through that and go, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Let's think about that for a moment. They've never seen Him. Now they've met Him. They know who He is. This is the One that has always been promised. Now, when one becomes a believer in Christ, it's the same kind of excitement, isn't it? We found Christ. Now, the theology on that needs to be explained a little bit. Uh, It's kind of interesting there. Uh, There's sovereign election, and God is the one who finds us. Let's make that clear. But there is a humanness where, in this sense, you know, we're they found him, but it was really Christ that found them. God found them. He chose them, right? But in a human sense, you know, the Lord found Philip, but Philip felt that he found the Lord. <laughs> well, he'd been looking for him, hadn't he? He had read the law and the prophets. He knew those prophecies. And they said, This is the one. Guys, I'm not kidding you, this is the one. Would you get a little excited? Well, unless that guy told a lot of lies. Yeah, right. But no, okay, wow, really? Are, are, are you are you sure? What? Who, who are you talking about? Well, Moses, the law, the prophets, they wrote about him. You know, he's a student of the Old Testament here. I, I think he knows the Old Testament. He knows the Bible. And Nathaniel knows the Bible, and we'll get into him in a moment right here, but we're on, we're on Philip, right? We found him. Now, go to John 6. We get a little personality of Philip here. John 6. A little bit later on here. Jesus has a large crowd following Him. John 6 is where He turns... The, you know, you have the, the fish, the bread, you know, that thing where He turns that into food for 5,000. And not little snackies. <laughs> We're talking about a big... Meal, a feast. Everybody got filled. And they had stuff left over. Right? You remember that? This is where this is at. This tells a little bit about the personality of Philip. Got to be honest, I can understand Philip here real well. So, verse 2 a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing and those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain. There he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the Feast of the Jews was near. That means people are traveling and they're going down through the roadway, the highway that takes them to Jerusalem. I mean, there are tons of people going. Thousands of people. 5,000. And then with wives, that make it 10,000. With children, let's just add on just one per family and there's a lot more. But let's say at least 15,000 people are traveling down the road. Now, that's why he mentions the Passover. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes, seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to who? Philip. There's our guy. Hey, Philip. We're going to buy bread so that these may eat. You know, it's you know it's getting close to mealtime. And... There's no McDonald's and Burger Kings out of here. What are we going to do, Philip? Do you think Jesus is asking, what? oh no, what are we going to do? I, I don't have an idea. What, what about it, Philip? He's not saying that, is He? He 
He already knows. Because, well, say, Dennis, how do you know that? Well, in verse 6. He, this he was saying to test him. For he himself, Jesus himself, knew what he was intending to do. Jesus already knows he's going to do this. <laughs> this is his whole omniscience. This is his plan, his purpose. And yet I think it's kind of interesting. Hey, Philip. Hey, what are we going to do with these people coming here? He's got that whole plan all down. And so, you know, he's going to reveal himself and, and who, who he is and what he's like, uh, what Philip is like. Philip had seen miracles. He'd seen the healings. He'd seen the casting out of demons. All those kind of miraculous things. And yet he's still thinking like a human. It's a great crowd. This is impossible. This can't happen. We can't feed these people. Oh boy, it's dinner time. Jesus is asking me this question. If I were to take 200 denarii, let's say 8 months wages... Eight months of wage, that's a lot of work, isn't it? If I were to take that, and this wouldn't even be able to feed them even a good snack. Couldn't feed this crowd at all like that. We're in big trouble. So, um, we know it goes on down here. Jesus testing Philip answered him and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has the five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? We kind of got into that last week when we looked at Andrew, right? So to save time, and you're wondering, how are we going to be able to get through these seven guys today, and we're still on the first one? So we have to cut things like this. But you know the story, don't you? Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish, of course. But let's look at Philip here. Um, Philip knows it's impossible. He knew too much arithmetic. He knows he's math. He's looking at this crowd. What an adventure this is going to be. He should have said, Lord, you want to feed them? Feed them. Because you can do it. I've seen you do things like this. He could have said that, couldn't he? He could have said, I'm just going to stand back and watch. Oh, he gets out his pocket calculator and he goes like this. Gets out his phone, I guess, these days, right? Uh, 200 there. It's eight months. No. This, <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. Well, we see what Jesus did. Jesus was testing. Jesus was really showing him and us how Philip thought. Philip was practical. Philip is looking at the realistic. He's analytical and he's skeptical. Know anybody like that? Could be me. I feel guilty because the reason I said that, I wouldn't ordinarily say that, but Carolyn's sitting right there and she knows exactly that that's Dennis. Now, I don't want to be like that and also know that Jesus can do anything that He wants and He's absolutely sovereign. But sometimes things get so overwhelming and you look at the realistic and I'm realistic. I'm a realistic person. Here's the way it is. Here's the the truth. But I do know God can intervene. But yet, here's the way it is. 
but God can do it any time. Please, Lord. And you can even pray, Lord, do that. At the same time, you're saying, probably won't happen. May not. But it may. I'm glad God's in control, aren't you? So I had to admit there, I'm sorry, but uh, John chapter 12, verse 20 through 22, I'm just saying these characteristics can be us, can't they? All of these guys we can have a little piece of. We may not be exactly like that person, but you can say, oh yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I understand. Verse 20, now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came, told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Jesus answers them there. These are Gentiles coming to worship God at the Passover. They uh, want to get to Jesus. Who do they go to? They go to the spearhead. Happens to be this guy right here, evidently came to Philip. Philip goes to Andrew. Andrew brings people to Christ, but Philip went right with him too. Philip, I just don't know, was sure if this was the right thing. Oh, I don't want to bother Jesus. He's pretty busy. Uh, go to Andrew. Andrew's got a way of just bringing those people. I don't know. You know, it could be something like that. Maybe not. John 14, another one about Philip. There's quite a few things about Philip, aren't there? But you'll notice as we go through the list, there's less and less about each apostle. That's why we're going to probably go through this rest of it a little quicker. (laughs) Okay, John 14, verse 8. Philip. Oh, there he is. There's our man. He said to him, Lord... Show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Now we're in John 14. If you back up a little bit, what's the context? Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving you. I'm going to be departing. I'm going to be going to heaven here. But uh, I'm going to build a place for you. It's going to be more than you can even imagine. It's in my Father's house. It's quite a dwelling. Prepare this. That's what I'm going to do. Of course, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says that. And then He says, if you'd known me, you would have known my Father also from now on. You know Him and have seen Him. You've seen the Father by looking at me. You've seen God. This is the best that you're going to get. Of course, when they get glorified vision, (laughs) it'll be the absolute best because they will be like Him. So Philip says this, after he says that great passage that everybody knows, Jesus is very narrow, isn't He? There's only one way. Well, you know, there's other ways too. What about those people? No, Jesus is the only way. That is politically incorrect. And I have to wonder sometimes if you could almost get arrested. The thought police are probably listening to this, right? <laughs> so Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. What did Jesus just say? He said in verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father. Awful from now on you will know Him and you've seen Him. How have they seen the Father? Through Jesus the Son. What does Philip say? He says, hey, show us a Father. That's all we need. That's enough. We'll believe you. Oh, Philip. Really? Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you? Three years. And yet you have not come to know me, Philip? 
Are you kidding me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You can't see God in that sense. You see God through the person of Christ. That's the best vision we'll get of God. It's the only vision we need of Him. He's Spirit being. So, um, this is Philip. Philip has some weaknesses. Kind of a limited faith here. Uh, Show us the Father. Jesus is saying, man, this is discouraging. He didn't say it that way. Three years, Philip, you've been gazing into God. The only face of God that you'll see. And it's not clear. Why wasn't it? Well, it's very human. He's materialistic. He's skeptic. He's small-minded. We all are. We're very small-minded. We read this Word all the time and, and we don't get it all, do we? Disciples didn't seem to really get it. That He was really the Messiah that brought the Kingdom of God here. Uh, well, after that, uh, that's kind of a, a limited faith, isn't it? Philip, that's enough strikes out. No. But he's in the twelve. The most important group of people in the history of the world as they're going to advance the Gospel. This is Philip. It's what God does. He's going to become quite the preacher. Part of the founder of the church. A ruler in the kingdom of God. Eternal rewards for the work that he does. This is Philip. Just an ordinary guy. Can you identify with Philip in some degrees there? The Lord uses people like him. By the way, tradition tells us that he was so faithful to Christ, he was so devout to Christ, that he would not recant Christ to the Roman authorities as they persecuted him. And because he would not recant Christ, they stripped him of his clothes. They put steel rods through his ankles. Through his thighs, they put the steel rods. And they hung him upside down. And also, according to that tradition, when he was dead, he had already said that he didn't want to be wrapped in a linen garment because he wasn't worthy to be treated like the way that his Lord was in his death. That's Philip. A changed man, wasn't he? It's what God does all on our walks. Have you noticed things changing in your life? You don't do the things that you used to do. And now you do the things that you didn't do. And now it's for the glory of God. And and more and more... I mean, this is the Christian walk. He's not done with you yet. He's just begun, hasn't He? That's the kind of people that He uses. says, really? I mean, I'm nobody. Yeah. This is the kind of guys that he uses. Next one's Bar- Bartholomew. Like I said, we're going to go a little quicker in here now. Bartholomew, um, it's a Hebrew name made up, made up of two words. When you see the word bar, bar means son. You ever heard of bar mitzvah? There you have the word son in there. This is bar Ptolemy. 
get Bartholomew, but Ptolemy uh, is the son of Ptolemy. He's elsewhere known as Nathaniel Bar Ptolemy. So, he has Bartholomew as a name. And on another list, you will see his name as Nathaniel or other accounts. So, two names there. Uh, turn to John 21.2. John 21.2. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. And the sons of Zebedee, James and John, two other disciples were together. Simon Peter there. Uh, but what's who's our guy here? Nathaniel, right? Or Bartholomew. He's known as Nathaniel of Cana. We get quite a bit there of Cana in Galilee. By the way, I want to hold on with that. That town Cana, Jesus turned water into wine at Cana. Nazareth, Cana. Bartholomew is from Cana. Nazareth. Remember that. By the way, yeah, we'll get to that. Okay, I will tell you that it's a despised town, just like Nazareth is a despised town. This village may have been a little more more obscure than Nazareth. <laughs> it's kind of funny because let's turn it back to John one. Let's let's see. What do you mean funny? This Nathaniel's a godly guy. He knows the scriptures too. You remember Philip? We just talked about Philip. Philip said, We found the Messiah. Who did he tell that to? Nathaniel. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the famous one. Hey, we found we found the Messiah. This is Jesus, son of Joseph. He's from Nazareth. Nathaniel's going, oh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. <laughs> Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's quite the privilege, isn't it? Uh, Nathaniel, Bartholomew, Cana, Nazareth. He believes this information that's brought from Philip, but yet 
mm, this is a little bit too close to home. This is a problem. There's no way. Messiahs don't come out of Nazareth. you got to be kidding. This is ridiculous. He cannot come from there. You know what's really more ridiculous? Because this Nathaniel came from Cana, which is less than Nazareth. Cana is like Nowheresville, and I mean that. Because at least in Nazareth, people would be coming from the west and the east and the north and the south, and they would kind of travel through Nazareth. So it was at least known. It was kind of despised, but yet at least, you know, it was kind of a crossroads. Well, Cana's one of those out of the way places, you know, that people really don't go to. And I can. You can think of rival towns. How about Wardsville and Taos? <laughs> um, how about St. Martin's and Centertown? You know, maybe those are two, a little bit too big of villages compared to these guys. You can go on and on. Think about those rival towns, but they did. You know, there's a prejudice here. You know, Columbia, Jeff City. You go through Jeff City High School, and and you know, you, you don't like anybody from Columbia, Hitman High School. You guys went through those days, you know, JC. And even JC and Elias, man, they had their deals too. You know, anybody go to JC? You know, and of course, you know, got this little pride here, this prejudice going on. And so, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, okay. Um, he's prejudiced. He cannot accept the fact that he came from Nazareth. It's a little village. Nobody important comes there. And then he's overcome by Jesus because Philip says, come and see. At least he went. That's a pretty good indication that there's something here. He was willing to listen to truth and he was overcome by truth. How long did it take? He could have refused, but he didn't refuse. He went, came, and he met Jesus. And every one of his objections were answered. What kind of man does God choose? He chooses hardened, prejudiced people. <laughs> the most prejudiced people that can be, and He'll choose them. Uh, Nathaniel, the Jew, as long as he's willing to have his prejudices overcome. And it's kind of interesting what Jesus does here. Behold, an Israelite. He's a, he's a Jew. But he, he makes it even more fascinating. Indeed. He's a Jew indeed, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was what? Deceiver. Now, you know, he's not Jacob, but that's really the background and the color of Israelites. They're deceivers. You know they come from that. You know that, but he's true. He doesn't deceive. He's a true Israelite. He's a true Jew. A true Jew is this guy's Jewish, and he believes in the Messiah. A believer, he's a Jew. He's a true Jew. There's no deceit in him. Boy, Jesus gives quite the compliment here. And then he says, "How do you know me?" He says, Poor Philip called you when you were on that fig tree. I saw you. 
It wasn't that he physically saw him and said, oh yeah, I know, but you know, he was already where he was at. Philip had just called him to come there. It's no way that he, you know, unless he can be in two places at once, but in another sense he, does, he knows what's going on, right? He is omniscient. And the confession of Nathaniel theory is just really amazing, isn't it? Rabbi, teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the Christ. You are the living Son of God, Peter had said. Here we have a great confession. And he knows this because he knows the Bible. He knows the law and the prophets. You're the King of Israel. And so, the confession is given there. And of course, Jesus gives this promise. Hey, you've seen some things here about this fig tree. That's supernatural. What I just did, he says, before this is all over, you're going to see some things that you're not going to believe right now that will happen. And of course, you know, you think of Jacob's ladder, the angels descending and ascending, you know, and he would have known that. And and yet he's saying in, in the ministry of Jesus, he's going to see things and experience things that he never did before. You'll see the heavens open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You will go right into the presence of God sometime too. So it takes in a lot of aspects. So, we've done two. Philip and Bartholomew. We've got five to go. Are we ready? Hang on. I am getting ready to start page four. Matthew's the next one. And I'll tell you what, we don't have to spend much time on Matthew. Matthew uh, has, a, has a Greek name. Matthew has a Hebrew name, Levi. He's called Matthew, or he's called Levi, Matthew Levi. Um, Hebrew name, Greek name, like I said, that's not unusual at all. We see that quite frequently. Uh, he was introduced to us just a chapter back, Matthew 5. What is Matthew? What's his uh, living that he does? He's a, he was a tax collector. And of course, tax collectors, just to, to make it real short here, they would purchase a franchise from the Roman government. It cost them a really pretty penny to get that franchise. And they would have the authority to set up a tax booth and collect taxes. And they would give so much to the Roman government, whatever they could get out of uh, the rest of that tax would be theirs. The more that they collect, the more that they would bring in for themselves. And so it was a very lucrative business. And we say that Matthew was very, very rich. And he could uh, tax the axles on your wagon or how much baggage that you are uh, carrying on you at the time because you have to go by this roadside and that's where he's parked there. And uh, if you have money that you're carrying, uh, then he could tax that. Uh, whatever they had on him there at the time, uh, he makes a lot of money. Uh, who hates him? Every Jew. Nobody likes to pay taxes to the Roman government, especially a traitor. And he's the worst of kind. He's a tax collector. He works for the Roman government and they hated him. He's an outcast. He's banished from the synagogue and the temple. He can't go in there. No self-respecting Jew would even sit down with him at a table. Jesus walked up to the, the, the booth where he is at 
looked at Matthew and maybe Matthew already knew who he was. Maybe he had heard about him. Maybe he went to a place and saw Jesus speak. We don't know. All I know is Jesus says, follow me. He does. He gives up everything that he owns. Uh, like I say, it uh, to get that franchise is very difficult. And once you have it, you better keep it because if you lose it, you won't get it back. He gets up and just goes. That's what he did. He had a he had a conversion. He throws a reception, throws a party, invites other sinners and other tax collectors. Pharisees don't go in there. They wouldn't do it, but they're wondering what in the world is Jesus going in there? Remember we talked about this and Pharisees are horrified. And the reason is that Jesus came to what? Save sinners. That's who He goes to. That's the people that He wants. They recognize that they're sinners. What kind of man does God call? He calls sinners that commit real sins. He even calls a renegade extortioner like Matthew. Matthew Levi. By the way, Matthew wrote a Gospel. Must have been a very intelligent man. He wrote a lengthy Gospel, 28 chapters, and that whole book is about the King. The Messiah. He proves that He's the Messiah all the way through those 28 chapters. That's what Matthew did. He was a tax collector though. You don't put that in your group to follow you around all over Israel. And I'm sure some of those guys are going to recognize Matthew as he goes from town to town, village to village, and out in the highways and byways. Don't you think some people are going to... Re- that's, <laughs> that's the tax collector guys. You know, they had their prejudices, didn't they? He's the king. Well, there's Thomas. Don't have to go over a lot of things about Thomas. I will tell you that I think he got a lot of bad press. Still gets bad press today. And what what do people call him? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Yes, he did. Like I say, we have a little bit of these apostles in all of us. We have some junk that needs to be rooted out, don't we? And they were overcome by Jesus, and a lot of these things just started going down by the wayside. And Matthew starts following so much for the tax business and everything else that started had to crumble out of there. Well, Thomas left his family and his friends to follow Jesus. Even as as doubting as he was, he made a commitment and he stayed with it. Well, there was one in John 11. Shows how low on faith that he had. And John 11 is about... um, Turn to John 11, verse 16. John writes about him here. Um, This is where... Pharisees are wanting to kill Christ. They're always wanting to do that. Um, Look in 16. Lazarus has died. We're in 11.16, right? Jesus gets the news. The disciples are all around there in 16. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, twin. So he must have had a twin. Makes sense, doesn't it? I wonder if it's one of these guys. We don't know. Doesn't say. 
He said to His fellow disciples, Jesus is going to go there. He's not supposed, if He goes to Jerusalem, He's a dead man. And you know what? He's right. Because this is the last time we go to, go to go to Jerusalem. I mean, I mean, at least in that area, he will go there, and then he will go away, and then come back, and then they'll get him. But let us also go, so that we may die with him. Hey, yeah, he's going to die. There's no doubt. He doesn't have a chance. But let's go, guys. We'll go ahead and die with him. I think he legitimately is ready to give up his life. Maybe saying this and Jesus said, ah, I'll tell you what, guys, maybe we better not. I don't think that's it. You know, Jesus is all setting this all up, right? Um, he's ready to follow him to his death. This is doubting Thomas. But he's ready to go. He doesn't have a whole lot of faith in the sense that Jesus is going to resurrect him from the dead. But he's going to go there and, you know, whatever. He's real skeptical. If you look in John 20, we know about this story. And won't spend a lot of time on it. You're very familiar with it. John 20, 24, and 25. It's about the resurrection of Christ. But Thomas, but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. This is the first night. This is after the uh, evening, after the uh, his resurrection. Thomas is not there. Everybody else is there. Oh, Judas is not there. Judas Iscariot. We know reason for that. but So the other disciples were saying to Him, We have seen the Lord. But He said to them, Unless I see in His hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails, put my hand to His side, I will not believe. That's why He's called Doubting Thomas. Well, Christ appears the next week. After eight days, His disciples, verse 26, were again inside. Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut. He stood in their midst. He wasn't there. He was there. No doors are going to hold any any glorified body back. We don't have to worry about gates and doors in heaven with the glorified bodies. Jesus wasn't there. Boom, He appears before them. He says, peace be with you. Why would He say that? Well, they were scared to death. He's not there and there He is. Then He said to Thomas, goes right to him, (laughs) reach here with your finger. Remember? He knew what he had said. See my hands? Reach here your hand. Put it in the side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. You know what that is? That's a deity passage there. People who doubt the deity of Christ, right here, Thomas says, He's not only my Lord, He's my God. He's not only my God, He's my Lord. He's Lord. He's God. He is it. He's the Son of God. He is deity. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen Me, have you believed? <laughs> Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. <laughs> There's Thomas. He's pessimistic. He's skeptical. But he gives a great testimony, doesn't it? We read that, My Lord and my God. His skepticism turned in to belief. Thomas. Then there's little James. Little James? Or James the less. And when you say James the less, what do you think? Well, he's less than other James. The, you know, Peter, James, and John. But we have James the son of Alphaeus. James the less. In Mark 15.40, he's known as 
James the less. It sounds like he, you know, these guys, they're kind of important, but they're just ordinary men. Well, he's less than ordinary. You think that? (laughs) That's not what it's saying. And so that that word less there in our English is um, less to be desired. No. It's okay. It's a good translation, but... um, 1540, there was also some women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less. The mother of James the Less. There was, his mother was there at the, uh, like at the time of the crucifixion and the burial. James the Less. Uh, look in Mark 2.14. I guess Mark wanted to include him a little bit. There's really too much to find out about him, but his name is James the Less, or Little James. We'll explain that in a moment. Verse 14, As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. Now this is interesting. Matthew, or Levi, is the son of Alphaeus. Don't know if this is the same Alphaeus. We're not explained here. But he was the son of Alphaeus. Could it be possible that Little James was a brother of Matthew? Don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. You guys think that's kind of cool? Anyway, why was called James the Less? Well, actually, it would probably be like Little James because here we have Big James and Little James. Maybe of stature, maybe of age... Maybe James was uh, James, uh, James and John. You know, they were first known in the apostles. We know absolutely nothing about this James here, other than James the Less, James, a the son of Alphaeus. Uh, what what does it say in in our Luke six passage? Thomas, then James, the son of Alphaeus. So. You know, Maybe related to Matthew. There's a brother. Bible, Bible here never tells us to study on the twelve disciples and pick out the ones who had the best homiletical method and the best expository way of preaching and focus upon them. Bible doesn't say that we are to focus on Christ. It's not about who the best one is or somebody is more. James the more and James the less. It's not that. You can say, well, it must be because he just doesn't have anything here. He has a name listed. How would you like to have a name listed with the apostles? Little little Jimmy. Little Jimmy John. Our goal is to learn something about Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is the object of our worship. It's not how good this preacher can preach this, this guy can preach... Yes, we, we love those guys. We say, great, and they've made an impact on me. And we have certain individuals that we like more than another. And uh, maybe we like another one less. You know, and uh, you know, I, I could do without him. You know, but he stands for the same thing we do. You know, why are you get? Why do you go around saying I gotta have the? the he's my favorite. You know, they're they're all used by God. They're, we're to focus on who. Christ. So we don't focus on a particular apostle, even though there are some that, you know, hey, this guy I can get a lot of information about and helpful. Um, James the Less, we don't get a lot. But yes, we do because we learned what kind of man that he is. 
Jesus uses him. He's like a nobody. Andrew was like a nobody. It doesn't matter. They're really all nobodies. That's who he's using anyway. He chooses little people. So if it is stature, he chooses them too. He chooses the unknown people. He chooses the one who seeks no glory for themselves. And you know what? I think that's what James Aless was about. Didn't matter whether anybody knew anything about him or not. His, he was all about the glory of the Lord. You can imagine how he preached the gospel later on, right? Then we have Simon the Zealot. Not a lot of time on Simon. We do know that Zealot there is zeal, it's passion. He was really, I think he was really a part of a group called the Zealots, a section of Zealots who looked earnestly for the coming of a military Messiah. They hated anything dealing with Roman authority, and you can imagine Simon the Zealot and Matthew the ex-tax collector are in the same group. Why would Jesus go out and get this one who is full of zeal and he totally misunderstands the idea of the kingdom? It's not military. And so they went around killing guys they killed Romans and they'd pick them off. You know, it's oh right, this guy's patriotic, and he was super patriotic. Is it wrong to be patriotic? No, absolutely not. But our kingdom, we must remember, is always the kingdom of Christ. That's really where our home is at. And yes, I stand for this nation, and yes, we should pray for this nation and really pray hard. But we've been blessed in where we have grown up. But we see it going down the tubes, and it makes us angry, doesn't it? it makes me angry. Um, it's not like what it used to be. But you know what? God has a plan. And His whole idea ultimately is He's calling a people to bring to Himself. But call out things that are also wrong and goes against God's Word. Well, He was a terrorist, I guess you could say, uh, at least against the Romans and anybody that would stand against Him and definitely people like Matthew. And they're in the same group. You know what? They became comrades in the army of God. When they became one in Christ, can you imagine how things changed there? One other one. Judas, the son of James. Judas, the son of James. Judas. Judas, Judas Iscariot. Judas, the son of James. They're right at the end of the list. We're at the end of the list except for Judas Iscariot. Guess what? We don't have time to cover him today. How would you like to be known all your life who you're not? Judas. I am Judas, not Iscariot. He's Judas, not Iscariot. How does Luke put it there? They're son of James. Another another place. It's uh, what is it? Uh, do we have Matthew ten three? Let's see him listed uh, there. Matthew running short on time. We're there. We're right at the end. Uh, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus. And Thaddeus. Guess what? Judas is also... Because the next one is then Judas Iscariot. 
you have Simon the Zealot. And so like I say the listings are, you know, they might be turned a little bit, you might but this time he doesn't he's not mentioned as Judas the son of James, but he would be Thaddeus. Thaddeus means a breast baby. Might have been a term of endearment given to the baby of a family, possibly, as also known as labius or heart child. Um, at any uh, moment, he might have been considered to be a mama's baby, something like that. Um, on the night, he's listed, I mean, you get a little something in the New Testament on him. It was the night of the Last Supper. And it's John 14, 21 and 22. And this is where we close this up here. This is the Lord's Supper. And by the way, we'll be celebrating that in a moment. Good way to close here, isn't it? 14, 21 and 22. By the way, 18, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a while, while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Wow. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. I will show myself to him. Very next thing that's said. Judas, and what do you have in parentheses? Not Iscariot. That's not the one. That's not the guy you're thinking. Judas Iscariot is famous later on. Judas, not Iscariot. John makes that very clear, and that's probably how he had to be announced from there on out. Said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus said, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word. My Father will love him. We will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love Me does not keep My words. And the word which you hear is not Mine, but the Father's who sent Me. It's They were able to hear the Word of God. God is the one who opened their ears up to be able to understand what this was about. And they understood more and more. And He said, Hey, what is this? You know, What's happened? That you're going to show yourself to us and not to the world. Why? You know why? Why don't you do that? Jesus chooses who he chooses, right? Uh, you know, he's not really confronting the Lord here. He's not. Uh, he's not mad at, at Jesus. I, I think you see him gentle. I see him uh, uh, meek. I see a tenderness here. Um, we know. That the good news of the world it goes out. And we know that. But nobody else knows that, considering how many really will become believers. Why can we understand and nobody else understand? Have you ever felt that way? Why is it there are only few believers? Well, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My Father will love Him. We will come to Him. Make our abode with Him. If you don't love Him, what is the result? Forever in hell. Away from God. Punished forever. There's a manifestation of the Messiah, an outward manifestation. 
And you think of the trumpets and the shouts, the kingdom, and all the disciples wanted that. They wanted the kingdom now and the king to militarily, just like uh, the zealot, Simon the zealot, they wanted Jesus to take over there in the big showy way and defeat the Romans. All the disciples felt that same way too. Some more than others, and that's why you become a zealot. The only eyes that we'll ever see and the only ears that we'll ever hear are those composed of loving Christ. Those who Christ is the one who chose and they will love Him and obey Him. It says in Galatians, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to them that are perishing. Because the God of this world has blinded their minds and they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Can't give you a full answer. All I know is the ones who love Him, the ones who obey Him, are the ones that He makes His abode in. Why does God do that? That's the question. Why would God ever let me in here? He's saying, why are you doing this with us? We're nobodies. Hey, 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 listen, I'm Judas. Even not Iscariot. Oh, he doesn't say that. I'm the son of James. You know, Judas, how come I know and most of the rest of the world doesn't know? The question is, why would he ever choose me in the position that... Why would that ever happen? There is no reason... There's nothing in me that He would ever choose me. But yet, that's what God wants. And when He does that, then He puts a love into you. And what do you do when you have love? You obey Him. So, the light of the Gospel, the glory of Christ, they were blinded. They must come to see the reality of Christ and for Him to live in them. If they come to Him, He will no wise cast them out. If they're unwilling to come to Him, they'll be cast into hell forever. And that's really how He leaves it here with Judas's answer, question as Jesus answers him. And so therefore, as we prepare to take our Lord's Supper today, that we thank the Lord that He has revealed His truth to us, not because of we're super intellectual or good people, but because He desired to do so. And as a result, when we take communion, we're saying, Lord, I just want to obey You even more. I want a closer relationship with You. Keep that in mind. Let's pray. Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, we commune with You today through Your Word, through the reading of the Word, through prayer, through praise, through singing, through the giving of offerings, through the preaching of the Word, through this Lord's Supper, this communion. It's a great picture of how You desire for us to come to You. Thank You for that opportunity. And as we look at these disciples, these apostles, we recognize that they are just people like us with flaws, with sin, And yet You used them, and that's who You use in Your kingdom. Thank You, Lord, for being so merciful to us. 
And we just want to keep showing our love to You by these actions as we come together today. In Jesus' name, Amen. That last supper, He had the believers there with Him. The believers, any believers, they're invited to partake of the bread, the fruit of the vine. This is a great picture of how we remember His death. And His burial, His resurrection. We're preaching this, even when we take these elements, it's just another part of worship. And uh, so we invite you to come to the table. We can start on this side. This time we have a side. I think it'll be a lot easier now. We had it, we had a ton of people here last week, and uh, we we didn't have the, the sides divided, and it was a little bit uh, kind of chaotic, but it worked out. Anyway, thank you for uh, getting that to, together. And, Heavenly Father, it is uh, a humbling and precious privilege to be so close to you as you have brought us to this place to honor and be with you, to learn from you, and to learn how to make the things of Christ our precious possession and because of your love in us then to give that out to others whether they be other believers or those who do not know you and so Lord just help us be mindful now of taking the gospel out Speaking the things of 
the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and help us to be ourselves, but yet uh, be led by the Spirit in doing so. We would honor and follow you. We would keep the words of Christ as the things that come out of us. Whether that be just in actions or serving others or actually talking with other people. Because we do we do treasure the Word of God and we would love to see the Kingdom of God even increased more, Lord, as you have made possible and you have commanded and you have given ways for that. Help us who are, are common and ordinary and uh, frail and broken, Lord, to be vessels of mercy, compassion, truth. May your spirit bring in our hearts that Christ would be exalted and he would be known by others. Help us to introduce you, Lord. In Jesus' name. He said the blessing, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the vine. He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. God's people say, Amen. Amen. It has been a blessing, again, to worship the Lord with you guys.